0: Hello and welcome to the Greenfield Baptist Sermons podcast. Each week we will be uploading the Focus Scripture and Sermon from Greenfield Baptist Church in Northeast Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us and enjoy. You're all here. You made it. And you don't look like you're all asleep. That's a good sign, right? Don't worry. It's interactive today, Kenny. It's going to be okay. I told Pastor Dave this morning that... I told Pastor Day this morning that I wasn't so sure that it might be 10 of us watching the countdown timer this morning. <laughs> I'm impressed. Good job. All right. So now we're going to find the passage. Um, we're in Matthew 27, chapter, chapter 27, verses 10 through 26, or 11. It's actually 11. I'm not sure how we got to 10, but that's okay. And I want you just to take a moment and look at my attire. That's good. That's all you need to know. Let's go to verse 11. Matthew 27. It says, Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even a single charge, to the greatest amazement of the governor. Now it was the governor's custom at the feast to release the prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew it was out of envy that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him a message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. While the which of the two do you want for me to release to you? asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What, what shall I do then with Jesus, who is called Christ? Crucify him! Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder. Crucify him! When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead of an uproar was starting, he took water and washed it with his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, Let this blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. May God add his blessing to the reading of the word this morning, and as we prepare to sing, uh, feel free to bring up your America for Christ office. Listen to this sermon. Well, this week we're going to talk a little bit about judgment. And I'm thinking that some of you have already judged that today's going to be a bad day. So I'm going to challenge that. My wife said yesterday, I said, hey, guess what tomorrow is? In my always delightful voice, she said, what is it? I said, it's daylight savings time. And she says, great, an extra hour of sleep. <laughs> I said, no, honey, this is the one where we spring forward, and she's like, ah. I said, don't miss, don't miss the countdown timer. <laughs> she didn't. She was good. So as you come this morning, you've made a bunch of judgments already, and we're going to talk a little bit about judgments. So I asked you this question, what is, is there anything wrong with my outfit today? Are there any fashionistas here? Uh, anybody know that? Okay, see, honey. Let me fix that, Kenny. Paul Paul loves it, but Paul, I got to question your judgment, all right? I know your wife dresses you, too. It's okay. We can have our own little club. My wife said you don't wear blue with red. I don't know. Uh, all right. This is good. Uh, so if if you think that blue and red together are fine, I would like, la- raise your hand. Whoa. And if you think blue and red don't f- match at all, yeah. <laughs> Amy. <laughs> the only person was Amy. Uh, honey, it's okay. They like it. <laughs> I thought about wearing something like atrocious, you know, like something awful, but I, I forgot to get it. No, nah, that one might. No, I thought about like different. I don't know. I had some. I had. A, I did have some ideas of maybe wearing jeans with a suit tie. That would have been different. Anyway, we make a lot of judgments. You made a lot of judgments already this morning, right? You judged, You decided what you were going to eat for breakfast. Nope. Or you didn't. Or if you weren't going to eat breakfast. Nope, didn't decide. Roll oh. that. <laughs> Wife drove by and put you in, took you out. I get it. And, you know, a lot of those judgments are kind of easy to make, and they don't affect a lot of other people. But, you know, there are judgments in our lives that we have to deal with where it comes to other people. Judgments that we need to make that have a lot bigger implications. And today is we're going we're gonna to take a look at the judgments in this passage And I wanted you to think about this question, and every time this picture comes up, there'll be a few times this. How does the cross affect my judgment? Does the cross of Christ make a difference in the way I decide things? I hope it does. Now, this passage that we talked about today is a pretty famous passage. If if you think about uh, the gospel's you can almost see the passion where, where Jesus is brought in in front of Pilate to be judged, and at that moment, just you know, and just to, for a little bit of background, what happens the night before the Last Supper is the night before Judas betrays him. That, that night before, he goes to Gethsemane. There's, and then in, in the morning, this whole thing is going down, and you know. There's a lot of people who would love to blame Pilate for all of it. Isn't that the guy we blame? He sent Jesus to the cross. He made that final decision. Every decision we have. There's a yes, a no, or a maybe. Now, I want to challenge you this morning as we look at this passage, to realize that there's more than one judgment in this passage. And I would challenge you that there are three judgments in this passage. Three judgments. Three decisions are made in this passage. There's a yes, there's a no, and there's a maybe. Now the first one That's a nice little road. Guy's got to make a decision, right? The first one that we will look at this morning are through the eyes of the crowd. The crowd is what starts the whole problem. They bring Jesus to Pilate. And Jesus is standing there, and Pilate says, What did the guy do? He's not even guilty. And they say, What? We wouldn't have brought him if he wasn't guilty. We, the jury, have decided. And they scream, Crucify him! Crucify him! That's a hard judgment to put onto someone. And I would challenge that you even struggle to put yourself in to that crowd. I heard a sermon once where the, the sermon was, you are that crowd. That's hard to take. I would never call out to my Lord, crucify him. And yet if we're honest with ourselves, we know that we have made those judgments. We have made those judgments towards other people I don't know if you were watching the Judge Judy thing this morning I don't know if you even realized it as you were watching it how many judgments you made on each person that was in that picture the guy with the mohawk the guy with the spiked hair she says you don't even have a brain in your head those of color those who look like they were disheveled they're not dressed for court You made judgments on them. I made judgments on them as I watched that video. Judge Judy, she made a bunch of judgments on them. We are the crowd in our sinful nature. We are the crowd. There's a... um, There's an experiment. If you're into... If you like YouTube, I like... If you don't know, the next generation is all about YouTube, just so you know. If you like YouTube, there is this... uh, experiment called Blue Eyes, Brown Eyes. And a, a lady by the name of Jane Elliott in the 1960s did this experiment with a, a, a bunch of youngsters in a, in a classroom. Now the, the experiment is about race. That's, that was the whole idea of what she was trying to get across. And, and the experiment shows this whole class of all white children in, a, in, a, in, a, in the Midwest. And she decides that in order to, be, to show brotherly love, which is what we're supposed to do, and that's how we say it, we're going we're gonna to show you as an example how it feels to be different, to be judged. And she takes the class, and because she has blue eyes, she says, today, children, all the blue-eyed children are going to be on top. And she begins to weave this tale into the classroom and she says all the brown-eyed kids look at that we have to wait for the brown-eyed kids they can't get their books out in time they're taking they're wasting time all the brown-eyed kids are wasting our time and she begins to weave this story into this classroom and before the end of the day the blue-eyed kids have now taken over the class and they put down all the brown-eyed kids and it's kind of hard to watch. I'm not going to, I'm blue-eyed. So in order to even this story out, she does it the next day. She trades brown-eyed kids for blue-eyed kids. Now the brown-eyed kids are in charge. Now you would think, and this is the point of the story, you would think that brown-eyed kids, after being harassed the day before, being put down, treated wrong, that they would treat their blue-eyed Classmates differently than they were treated the day before. Yeah, they, treat them worse. they do. They treat them just as bad or worse than they were treated the day before. And it reminds me of the sin nature that we have, that those children have. And just so you know, just so you don't say, well, it's just kids, they did it for adults. They put 30 adults from Great Britain together and did the exact same experiment with the exact same results. Our sin nature is like that of the crowd. If we're going to make a judgment, we always tend to make it good for us and not so good for the other. In light of the cross, did the cross make any effect on the crowd's judgment? They chose not to see the cross, crucify him. What did he do? See, they had said, well, this Jesus guy says he is God. And we don't believe it. And we need to get rid of him. Because our books say that the Christ will come. But obviously this is not him. He is a fake. He is an imposter. Get rid of him. second judgment in this passage is the one that Pilate, the one that we send to see as the only judgment in this passage. The passage, the judgment on that Pilate gives to Jesus. Can you blame the guy? Can you blame the guy? He's in a pickle. He's in a pickle. He's stuck. Let's see. I can't find anything wrong with this guy, and yet I have this crowd of crazed people in front of me and they want me to make a decision. I am the governor and I need to make a decision. What's my decision going to be? I got an idea. Tries to squirm out of it, doesn't he? He's like, I got an idea. I'll give him the worst criminal I got. How could they de- how could they ever pick Jesus over Barabbas? How could that happen? He even gets the message from his wife. Note to self, guys. (laughs) She says, I had a dream. Let this guy go alone. He's innocent. I had a dream, and you need to let him go. Get away from it. See, I believe that Pilate wanted to make the right decision. He knew who this Jesus character was. The problem was that he buckled. He buckled under the weight of the people. He buckled when the time came to make the decision. It was time to make the right decision, and he made the wrong one. Of course, he had to push it back to the crowd, right? That's what we do. Well, you make the decision. You make the decision. I don't want to make the decision. This would be Pilate's nice shirt. I buckle under peer pressure. He was afraid to make that decision when a time came. He was afraid to realize or to accept the alternative to what he thought was the plan. Even though he knew. Even though he knew. Do you remember the... If you see the the crucifix pictures, you'll see that little sign that's up above the cross. Of course, it's usually, I have to laugh. It's usually this little scribbly line, so you can't read it, I get that. Um, But what it said was, Jesus, King of the Jews. And you know, when they put that on the cross, the Jews were not happy. And they said, take that down. Get rid of that sign. And in Acts, it's recorded in Acts uh, Uh, I'm sorry, it's recorded in John 19, uh, 22. It says, what I have written, I have written. He knew the difference between right and wrong. He knew what was best, but he didn't choose what was best. He struggled to make that connection. And I, I will ask you this morning, there are lots of decisions in our lives that we have to deal with and what do you do with those where well, there's a lot of waffling back and forth? Wavering. Which way do I go? Does, what does God want from me? What, does I, what do I want from me? I wasn't here last week. Uh, I was at Koinonia, which I thoroughly encourage you to pray over. But I want to tell you a story about Koinonia. My Koinonia journey started about 15 years ago. 15 years, that's a long time. I was invited to go 15 years ago. But I like pilot. waffled. Someone said, "It's a great weekend. You will you need it. It's good for you." And I said, "Thank you. No thank you." And then they said, "If you go, your wife can go." And I said, Thank you, no thank you. It'll be good for you. Okay. Thank you, no thank you. Friends of mine a couple years ago said, hey, you need to go to Koinonia. I said, thank you, no thank you. Obviously, God wasn't letting up because about a year and a half ago, I got a couple applications. Hey, you need to go to Koinonia. I said, thank you, no thank you. And in, his, in their wisdom, they said, put these applications on your fridge. And if you know much about me, you'll know that I am kind of bullheaded. And so I just left those things right on the fridge. I didn't throw them away. I left them there, sitting right on the side where I'd see them every stinking day. How'd that work? Worked great. <laughs> For a year and a half, at least. I don't even know. I should have put the date on them. I said, I don't need that. You don't understand. Finally, I decided, for my wife's benefit, terrible decision, for my wife's benefit, I'm going to go do this. 2017, I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to do something nice. I'm going to do this for my wife. Get all these <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Ain't nobody messing with me after this year, kids. I did my thing. And my wife gets to go. I got nobody on my back anymore. I turned them stinking things in to Mark's surprise. (laughs) I turned those applications in. I said, here you go. Let's get this stinking thing done. I don't know if I even said that. I acted like I was going to enjoy it. And then I get this phone call. Hey, it's going to be last weekend, whatever that weekend date is. And I'm like, oh, great. I thought I had an out. I thought I had an out. I thought the play was last week. And I'm like, yes, pushed off for another six months. (laughs) And then I looked at the date. and I was like, oh, crap, wrong date. (laughs) And I looked at my schedule, and lo and behold, there was nothing on that date that weekend. So then I'm walking, out, I'm sitting out, doing my normal thing on Sunday morning, and a friend comes by, and I said, hey, I heard you're going to Koinonia. And I said, yeah, I don't know. And I think I said, I, I thought the play was during that week. He's like, you probably ought to get your priorities straight. And that was what he said to me. And I'll be honest. I asked permission to, to share this, so I'll be <laughs> I thought to myself, what does he know? about my life. What does he know about my priorities? Doesn't he know I'm the pastor? Obviously, my priorities are in the right spot. And I was put off at that moment about, from that one line. And it just dug at me, and it dug at me. Probably because I was a little bit anxious about this whole weekend thing. And boy, I couldn't have been any more wrong. I had waffled, I had walked away, I had not allowed God to work in a powerful way, even though my Christian brothers had said, listen, you need this, this will be good for you. Thank you, no thank you. You don't know. I decided that I would make a judgment just like Pilate. The cross was here, and I would make that decision over here. I made a decision not based on what God would have me to do, but based on what Dan would have me to do. And I know none of you guys ever have done that, because goodness, right? No one else has ever done that. It took an awesome weekend to remind me that I don't have all the answers. Just like Pilate, he didn't have all the answers. I wasn't able to see where God was leading or would lead that weekend. And for 15 years, I buckled under the pressure. I buckled when I knew full well that God would have me go there. Full well. I knew what God wanted for me, and yet I said, no way. And I had every excuse you could ask me. I could just tell. I had had it. I had the right answer. (laughs) And isn't that what Pilate does in this passage? He has the right answer. He's like, well, okay, guys, I'm going to give you a choice. I don't think this guy's guilty, but I'm going to give you a choice. You get to pick, right? We like to be uh, in that spot where we get to pick. We like those books where we get to pick the ending. And he throws it right back on the crowd. He buckles when it's important. He knows full well who Jesus is. And yet he buckles under the pressure. And so you would say, well, he kind of uses the cross a little bit, right? He kind of starts on that one, and then he cuts off to the... He gets a little further out than the crowd did. I would challenge you that there's a third judgment in this passage. And that judgment is the judgment that Jesus pronounces on himself. That judgment was already taken care of before this passage. Jesus is standing there in front of Pilate and he says, do you hear what they're saying about you? This is your chance. This may be what keeps you alive. You better, you better defend yourself right here and now. Defend yourself. And Jesus sits there, stands there quietly. To the amazement, the scripture says, to the amazement of Pilate. Think just for a moment about standing in front of a group who will decide whether you live or die. What would it take to keep your mouth shut? to not say anything at that very moment when you knew exactly that you were perfect, that there was nothing wrong, that you had done nothing wrong, that you were the savior of the world. To say nothing. At that very moment, he stood there in judgment. He allowed himself to be judged. Ouch. He knew full well what was coming in fact i'd like to take you real quick to uh matthew uh, matthew chapter 26 verse uh 39 i just want to read you this if and if you're still awake you can find your if you have your bible that'd be great matthew 26 39 i want to read you this because this is just just before and to me some of the most powerful words in scripture Verse 39 says, Going a little further, he fell with his face in the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Flip over to verse 40, 42. It says, He went away a second time and prayed, My Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Verse 44 When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Jesus had already, at that moment, brought judgment upon himself. He didn't respond when he had that chance to respond. He made a decision in light of the cross. He made that decision for us. He drank the cup. There's a passage in, uh, I know you know John 3.16, right? This is John 3.17. It said, Whoever believes him is not condemned or judged, but whoever does not believe him Oops, sorry, wrong verse. It said, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world or to judge the world, but to save the world through him. And whoever believes in him is not judged, but whoever does not believe stands judged already or condemned because they did not believe in the name of God's one and only Son. And I ask you again, when you make judgments in life, when you make decisions in life, do you look at the cross to make those decisions? See, Jesus took it to the cross for each one of us. He took it to the cross knowing full well what he was about to take. The punishment that he would take In his perfectness, he brought judgment upon himself. This morning, as we prepare to finish up, we're going to sing a song, The Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone. And that song has been ringing in my mind all week. Because I I don't know about you, but I'm a visual person, and I can see those chains that entangle me. I can see those chains that I allow to hold me back. There's a, there's a verse that talks about uh, run the race. And I always can, it's crazy, I know. But I always can see that verse of a, with a runner in a, in a full snowmobile suit. You wouldn't last very long in a race in a full snowmobile suit, now would you? And yet we live our lives, we, we tend to let our lives build up like that. And we got all these chains around us, binding us up. For some of us, we have placed that judgment squarely on ourselves. And we can't get past that on our own. Sure, we can come to church and go home and we're right back into that judgment. We judge ourselves. Sometimes we're the hardest critics on our own. God says, as far as the east from the west, I have taken those sins and... Move them away from you. Come, follow after me. And yet we walk with those burdens, those chains around our necks. And God says, I don't want you to do that anymore. I want you to leave your chains at the altar. I want you to come and follow me. My burden is light. This morning, if you have a burden that you need to get off your chest, that you need to lay at the cross. As we, We're going we're gonna to pray and stand, and then there'll be an opportunity for you to come and lay that burden at the, at the cross. You want to pray with me? I'd love to pray with you. If you don't want to, that's perfectly fine. But The challenge this morning is not about who you're going to pray with, but who you're going to pray to. And whether you're going to pray in light of the cross, And realize that Jesus took all those burdens away. Why? Because he loves you. He loves you so much that he took the judgment upon himself that we might have freedom. Let's pray. Lord God, I just, I thank you this morning For those around us who pray over us, who call, who connect, who share, who love us. Lord, there are burdens. We all have burdens. But you have told us that if we would just lay them at the cross, then Lord, the judgment that we place on others looks a whole lot like the judgment that's on ourselves. And Lord, we have allowed sin to judge us and take us over. And you have brought us freedom from that. You sent Jesus to die on that cross to be raised again for each one of us. We are free. Lord, help us to be free. Lord, spare us the chains. Allow us to remove the weights that tangle us up. Strengthen us for the journey this morning and remind us, Lord, how much you do love us. In your name we pray, amen.